Welcome to I Want What She Has, your weekly antidote to the patriarchy, amplifying women's voices and their stories. I'm your host, Teresa Widman. And if you listened last week to the show, you might be thinking, I thought you weren't going to be here this week, Teresa. And I wanted to just put a little love out into the ethers. Julie Novak was supposed to cover for me, but for those of you who know her, um, you know that she has been going through cancer treatments and so she wasn't feeling well. And so I am coming back um, to step in to, to cover the show, but just wanted to put some love out there to Julie and hopefully she's feeling better and hopefully um, she will get to enjoy some of the holiday the holiday um, outside of bed. So thank you, Julie. Thinking of you. I have, because tomorrow is the 4th of July, I thought I would revisit or return to my freedom-themed programming that I have been doing. Uh, most, most shows that fall near the 4th of July. And so I was thinking, I actually the the I may have been in the shower, you know, sometimes b- brilliant ideas come to you in the shower, but uh, I had this phrase come into my head, which was women freedom fighters. And so I thought I would do some research online. And interestingly, when you put that into uh, the Google search bar, you come up with a lot of Indian women who have fought for women's rights and freedom in India. And that wasn't exactly what I was looking for, um, but I think that's sort of an interesting thing to consider for a future show, just because I don't know a lot of that history. I've talked about it and alluded to this on the show in other um, in other occasions, on other occasions, about the fact that there are obviously women whose rights are not equal in other countries. And Manda Zand Urban was specifically one woman who came on the show to talk about Iran. And so to me, it is an important thing to discuss. Manda was very clear that she felt that women in countries, women in countries where they are equal rights and where those countries do impact and have relations with other countries where women do not have equal rights, that there is a responsibility or at least a request for women to be involved in efforts to help bring those rights to the women in other countries. So that is something that's important. But because the 4th of July is an American holiday, I wanted to keep this conversation focused on women in this country who have done things to fight for people's rights and freedoms. And while there's a lot that we can talk about politically right now, and I don't even know if I want to couch it as politics Although, according to Maria Elena, right, it's the art of living together is politics. It doesn't matter if you're a politician or not. And so there is this, I guess there is, there are many things that are happening in our country right now that impact people's freedoms, whether it's voting or the ability to make decisions about your health or your gender, um, the list goes on. We'll just leave it at that. Um, 
So I thought what I would do is I would find women who have fought for people's rights, um, which are obviously the things that are needed to be feel to feel free, to be living life in a free way without the same rights as everyone else, then you are obviously not free as free as others are. So I'm going to be sharing from the Library of Congress, the women in civil rights who have been underappreciated. There's a few of them there that are listed there. Uh, and we'll play some music. But first, because we had a full moon this morning, and because this show is a female-focused show, and the moon, for those of you who don't already know, is a feminine symbol. <clears throat> I was reminded of a trip that I took to Joshua Tree in 2018, and I can't remember where this this folks tale came from, but there was a story about the Moon Maiden, and from what I remember of it, there was a story uh, that was um, part of the local. Um, indigenous people's folklore related to the moon, which had to do with the, this idea, this notion that there were two gods who were brothers and they were fighting over the moon, who was this female character, and she um, basically fled that the two male gods and put herself into a lake which is where you kind of get the reflection right of the uh of the sun notion and the fact that the moon is hidden for part of the month um there's more to it and I'm not going to go into it but I thought it was interesting because I I was looking it up and there are a lot of moon maiden stories out there um so maybe we'll do a show where we talk about the different stories across all cultures and across all you know centuries um, where there are different ways that the 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 origin, how the moon came to be, which has largely been depicted as a female character uh, with definitely feminine aspects and characteristics. So that's why the moon is important, right? And the moon reflects nature and this idea of creation and flow and change, which to me are all feminine principles. And so I'll turn to Tanaz, who I, I read from often from foreverconscious.com. And there's another woman out there who I used to read a lot of. She has been less active, Mystic Mama. And I just glanced at her words about the moon, her astrology about the moon. And it's it's very interesting because there is this similar notion, which I haven't come across this in my years and years and years and years about reading about moon astrology. I, I don't remember, I should say, I don't remember coming across this where it was very specific to the actual uh, identity of Capricorn. This is a full moon in Capricorn. I am Capricorn, so you would think that I would have paid attention to it if it had come up in the past, but... Um, Really, it's this notion of an opportunity to be like the Capricorn energy during this full moon. That's just sort of a very small notion of this. So let me share more about what Tanaz writes. 
Uh, she says that it arrives Jan- July 3rd, which in the Northeast, um, in New York, it was this morning, I believe. And it brings both challenges and rewards. It seems that the universe is encouraging us to do the hard things, but is also promising we will be pleasantly rewarded when we do. This makes the Capricorn full moon a perfect opportunity to find the discipline needed to achieve the goals we are after, create those schedules, tick off items on your to-do list, get back on your meditation cushion, and tackle those challenging projects you have been putting off. The universe is on your side. And I'll just say Capricorn, as somebody who has identified with Capricorn or at least been told, you know, that's your sign and these are your characteristics. It's never a sexy sign in, in many ways. People are kind of like, ooh, Capricorn, right? They work hard, they climb the mountains. There's not a lot of magic and mystery kind of associated with with Capricorn necessarily, um, but the the essence here of kind of putting structure around things is a big part of uh, the strength and the benefits of Capricorn. It is in a way, even though from what I understand, Capricorn is a feminine sign, it is ruled by Saturn, which is a masculine presence, which brings in that masculine structure. And this is where, right, just to state the obvious, perhaps feminine is not better than masculine. They are both necessary. Uh, It's about being in balance and it's up to you to decide whether the world around you is in balance and you are in balance. I talked about that in the past. Okay, I'll continue on. The Capricorn full moon can also help illuminate what is no longer working in our lives giving us the opportunity to step up and take responsibility. It can be challenging to confront what is no longer working or supporting us, as it sometimes requires us to take ownership of the situation that has been created. We talked a little bit about that before we started the show. While not everything is our doing, there is a power to be found when we step up to the plate and start taking responsibility for the situation we have found ourselves in. And I'm going to pause here just for a second and I guess invite you to consider what that feels like. And this is a way to really get some insight into what is going on underneath the surface for you and to perhaps move through things that might be blocks for you. But if you think about a situation where maybe you're feeling that uh, you were treated unfairly or something isn't working right for you, there can be a tendency to want to blame something external. And it might be something external that is definitely involved with why this is a challenge for you. But we cannot actually control things beyond us. And so when we try to do that, And by being angry at that external something, it actually creates this notion in our brain that we want to control that and manipulate that. But we actually cannot do that. There there are going to be some situations where you can control something outside of you, but it's a better practice to just focus on things that are within your control, which is yourself. And so if you think about the situation Um, where you're feeling that you've been mistreated or it's not working in your favor, if you can step back and just think about what's your role in that and just notice how that 
creates a sensation in your body, if it creates a sensation in your body. It may not. Um, and this is something, if if you're not in a position to do it right now, maybe make a little note to yourself to try it later when you have some time, is to just contemplate the situation and notice the response in your body. If you notice a softening, then that's a good sign that you are really ready and open to take that responsibility on for yourself. And in that process, it's going to really open you up and free you. If you feel uncomfortable and resist that notion of of taking responsibility for something, then that's just an opportunity to keep sitting with it and and looking at it, understanding what thoughts are coming up as I consider this. Is there a way I can soften more into this? Play around with it. It's not a necessarily a one and done experience. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there as something that you can consider doing for yourself if this is a thing that's sticky in your lives. She continues, when we address the role we have been playing, that is when we can find the courage to turn things around to get our lives closer to where we want to be. To guide you through all of this energy, we can turn to the Capricorn sea goat to guide us. The sea goat is a mythical creature used to represent the energy of the Capricorn zodiac. As the name suggests, the sea goat is half fish and half goat. This unique mix of species allows the sea goat to swim to the depths of the sea and climb the tallest mountains. The sea goat has a unique advantage, but it also has some limitations too. It is up to the sea goat to overcome these limitations in order to reach its fullest potential. When it learns how to swim with just half the body of a fish, it can marvel at the miracles of the deep sea. When it learns how to scale a tall mountain with just half the body of a goat, it can marvel in the miracles of the view below. We can all tap into the gifts of the sea goat when the Capricorn full moon lights up our sky. We can all learn from the myth of the sea goat and apply it to our lives. In fact, take a moment to pause and see how the story of the sea goat resonates with where you are right now. Do you feel you are facing some challenges that feel difficult but could also be highly rewarding too? The sea goat is all about taking on challenges and surmounting them in order to live its best life. So just like the sea goat, embrace those challenges that seem too big to tackle and especially embrace them if the potential rewards would result in finding a higher harmony or a greater sense of well-being and happiness. Even the small things like making time to meditate every day counts. The discipline and challenge it takes to find the time and commit to sitting in stillness is the perfect task for this full moon. You can, of course, go bigger too and use this full moon to sit for an exam that will open up job prospects, commit to a deeper path of healing, or have that difficult conversation with a family member that will hopefully lead to a peaceful resolution. Just one day after the full moon, the sun will also align with the star Sirius, which is considered our spiritual sun. The sun and Sirius aligning together unlocks a portal of high-frequency energy, which is going to be magnified due to the presence of the full moon. It seems that not only are we asking, being asked to face up to challenges, but we are also being strongly supported by the universe to use this energy to raise our vibration, honor our soul, and to remember that there is nothing we can't handle. 
we have the strength and the intuition to move through whatever comes our way, and this full moon will be our reminder of that. Jupiter is also in a strong position at the time of this full moon, casting its blanket of support. Jupiter is the planet of expansion, but ancient astrologers also considered it the planet of gifts and luck. Jupiter's presence also allows us to see the silver linings with greater ease. So if something challenging does come up, or if you're left to confront some painful truths, look for the silver lining. And remember the sea goat. The struggle up the mountain or to the depths of the ocean is challenging, but once you arrive at your destination, it will be well worth it. It's interesting to think about um, using Capricorn as an archetype. You know, we talk about the archetypes occasionally when I read from Kim Kranz's archetypes guidebook. And I don't know if, I don't know, because I don't know who's listening, but I was going to say, I don't know if you use archetypes, but I can tell you that in my own personal experience, I love working with archetypes. For some reason, it just really works for me. Um, sometimes I'll say, what would Jim James do? Who's <laughs> one of my favorite musicians. Um, there's many people that I might think, okay, who? what would that person do? Um, and you can, if you believe in this notion that we are all connected, right? We all have that same access to those characteristics that we might aspire or admire about somebody else. I mean, this is the notion of this radio show. I want what she has. So it is finding the people or the archetypes that have whatever it is that will help you move through whatever you are experiencing in this moment. You can switch archetypes every day, multiple times a day. Knowing which ones you can call upon during certain situations is just a really fun and I think beautiful thing to incorporate into your life. So that's a little bit about what Tanaz is talking about. Again, I read from foreverconscious.com, which is Tanaz's moon astrology for this morning's full moon in Capricorn. I wanted to share a little bit more about Capricorn before I pivot on today's show to talking about uh, civil rights freedom fighters. Because I was surprised, I suppose, to learn some of the myth behind the, the Capricorn, the story behind Capricorn, beyond just the sea goat. And, you know, when we talk myths, it's hard to pin down a very black and white kind of this is the exact notion of what this is because these myths have crossed cultures and crossed time and change and get reworked. Uh, so as with so many of what I talk about related to the moon with so much that I talk about related to the moon, hello, it really is just an opportunity to receive the words and see what, what resonates with you or what is inspires new thoughts for you, whatever it might be. So I found this website, jessicadavidson.co.uk, and she talks about the myth of the Capricorn. And um, she it's a cardinal earth sign, which if you're not familiar with Capricorn, maybe that's, that's interesting to you. It is kind of this grounded notion of... Uh, being practical and 
Um, actually, she says that it initiates practical actions to make the dreams of Sagittarius real, which I think is an interesting notion of of how we work together. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be literally interpreted that way, but that um, that certain people play different roles in society and some might be the practical doers that help realize other things, um, p- ideas that came from other people. I don't like that idea because I like to think that I have dreams for myself and that I am the practical action taker to put those dreams, make those dreams a reality. <laughs> um, so just... <laughs> There's some real life response to make it of it what you would like. But she continues to say through self mastery and embodies the instinctual wisdom of the earth and builds structures that stand the test of time. It's a feminine sign, as I mentioned, ruled by Saturn. And it's complemented by the opposite sign of cancer, which is, you know, if you're paying attention to the overall happenings of the zodiac right we are in cancer right now that's when we have the full moon in capricorn um and cancer is ruled by the moon capricorn means goat horn and is represented by goats in general as well as the mythical goat fish or sea goat which creates an interesting paradox so One thing that she says about it is that Capricorn is the gate of the gods where souls ascend after death. And it's an ancient sign with connections to the laws of time and the renewal of life at midwinter. Obviously, when Capricorn, when we are in the sign of Capricorn, we are in winter. Um, We are not in the, we are in the sign of cancer right now. So obviously we're, experiencing different things, um, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. But I just thought some of this mythology around goats was interesting. And this notion where I mentioned before how Capricorn can feel very kind of like structured and earthbound and not very sexy, more practical. She relates it through some of the imagery around goats to some of the older gods and um, different notions that I just wanted to plop into your world for consideration. So there's the, and I might not pronounce this animal correctly, the ibex, which is also uh, like a goat. It's a kind of the wild version in uh, the regions of Iran, Iraq, and Turkey. But there was a lot of imagery that kind of relates to the goat and the ibex. And there is a lot of cool artwork associated with this imagery. Actually, if you go to her site, which I'll link to in the show notes, she has um, almost like what they've done is they've taken pictures of these images that have been drawn that shows you, it's almost like one of those stick cartoon books where you flip through I can't think of the name of it um, that shows movement so it's almost like they were doing that on on the walls um, early 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 we're talking like thousands of years BC but the creatures are often shown with plants or a tree of life as well as celestial images like stars and suns and they are um often connected to the ancient goddess cults of the Neolithic 
and were symbols of fertility and rebirth. Their curved horns resemble the crescent moon and so were linked to the waxing and waning of the natural cycles of life and death. For those of you who have Capricorn in your chart or, or, or in any way relate to Capricorn, this might be more interesting to you, but I think it's all good information to share. Um, the goat may also represent the mother goddess Merkam, who was worshipped in the uh, in Pakistan, and um, that was where actually the panels on a bowl kind of represent this animation um, taking place. Goats also feature in Sumerian mythology, and it's here that we first encounter the mysterious image of the sea goat. In Babylonian astrology, Capricorn was called Suhur Masku, which means the crested goatfish. And it has um, relations then to the sun emerging from the waters of darkness in midwinter. But then by the second millennium BCE, the goatfish became associated with Enkel uh, or Anki sorry, uh, God of Freshwater, Wisdom, and Magic. And um, he was the twin brother of another god and the keeper of the gifts of civilization and knew the secrets of life and immortality and created mankind from clay and the blood of gods. So it's interesting, some of this, uh, these different ways that Capricorn and goats specifically kind of bring these images of archetypes into our world. In Egypt, we find another connection between goats, water, and the creation of life and the goat-headed god, Knum, who was the source of the Nile. In Greece, the constellation of Capricorn was identified as Prychus, father of the sea goats, he was a immortal being created by Kronos, and he lived in the sea and ruled over time. So the stories go on and on and on. There's also a relationship between Zeus and Pan and the, I guess maybe this is more commonly understood about the mythology of the sea goat um, and how it wasn't, it was put into placed into the water but didn't finish or taken out of the water and didn't complete its its formation into a fish and so that's why it's half and half um and but i like what tanaz was saying about this notion of uh how you can use the imagery of the capricorn as going to the depths of the sea or climbing the highest mountains so when you are going through whatever might be challenging in your life to think about what that is, um, you know, how the the imagery of the seagull can help you or turn to somebody who you admire and who has um, done challenging things. You might even consider making a list for yourself of the things that have been difficult that you have gone through in your life. As uh, Warren and I were talking before the show, we were talking about the things, uh, the, how to know that you're a good person. And I reflected back on something that I had learned about myself from when I was in seventh grade, which I didn't remember. But it's this notion of being, um, having these qualities that we sometimes forget about ourselves. And so thinking about the things that have been challenging that you have gotten yourself through, and you can actually use yourself as the archetype 
to step into and embody the strength that you need to get used to get through whatever it is that's challenging in your present day. Okay, I think that we've covered Capricorn. At least that's just like a little snippet of the things that I've learned that I didn't know about the history of Capricorn as a zodiac sign and some of the imagery uh, associated with the goat. So to set the stage for uh, Pivot in my conversation, uh, we're going to listen to a couple of songs. We're going to listen to... Supper Time by Ethel Waters and Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday. I had actually played several of these songs on an older 4th of July show. NPR had done an article about uh, songs that kind of reflect the dynamic of the struggle for freedom in this country. And so I will link to the the playlist. Unfortunately, I lost the link to the original NPR article um, where I found some of these songs and, but I'll link to the playlist in the show notes, um, so that you can find these artists and listen to more of their music. But for now, we're going to listen to these two songs as I get ready for a different conversation. So that was, uh, Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit. And before that, we heard Supper Time by Ethel Waters. Two very real and um, emotional and sad songs. And not to try to bring anyone down, but I think it's important just sort of to set the tone uh, for the importance of uh, why civil rights and the civil rights movement has been so important in this country and, and everywhere for that matter. And... I am somebody who, when I was in college, and apologies if you've heard the story many times before, but when I was in college, I took a course that really was an outline of some of the major civil rights cases that uh, went before the Supreme Court that really helped to shift and shape a lot of the changes to the laws and to rights in this country. And so I was interested when I found this, I guess you would call it essay or article on the Library of Congress's website, which I will link to in the show notes. But it is an article that talks about women in the civil rights movement and some of them who were really just, you know, haven't been written about and whose stories aren't told regularly. And so this seems like a really important thing to share. Um, And so if you are a history buff, then you'll enjoy this. If you are a women's rights um, uh, advocate, then hopefully you'll enjoy this. But the, I'm going to just read from the beginning of what the, The essay says, many women played important roles in the civil rights movement, from leading local civil rights organizations to serving as lawyers on school segregation lawsuits. Their efforts to lead the movement were often overshadowed by men who still get more attention and credit for its successes in popular historical narratives and commemorations. Many women experienced gender discrimination 
and sexual harassment within the movement and later turned towards the feminist movement in the 1970s. The Civil Rights History Project interviews with participants in the struggle include both expressions of pride in women's achievements and also candid assessments about the difficulties they faced within the movement. I'll, I'll provide a caveat here to say that I was not, am not a women's history scholar. And so I can't speak to this subject more broadly. Um, I know that in more recent years that there have been more conversations about the ways that the civil rights movement was unfolding and then its relationship to the women's rights movement and how there were difficulties and complexities about ensuring all rights were considered in in these movements. <clears throat> but that's, I guess, a conversation for another day. Uh, just to put that out there, that I don't proclaim to be an expert about this, but I can tell you that the women that are listed on this website are folks who were involved and whose stories haven't been shared more widely. So to start out with, there is Gwendolyn Zohara Simmons, who was a member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and one of three women chosen to be a field director for the Mississippi Freedom Summer Project. She discusses the difficulties she faced in this position and notes that gender equality was not a given, but had to be fought for. Quote, I often had to struggle around issues related to a woman being a project director. We had to fight for the resources, you know. We had to fight to get a good car because the guys would get first dibs on everything and that wasn't fair. It was a struggle to be taken seriously by the leadership as well as by your male colleagues. She continues, one of the things that we often don't talk about, but there was sexual harassment that often happened toward the women. And so that was one of the things that, you know, I took a stand on that this was not, we're not going to get a consensus on this. There is not going to be sexual harassment of any of the women on this project or any of the women in this community, and you will be put out if you do it. And so if you go to the Library of Congress, you'll see the actual interview with Gwendolyn Zahara Simmons, um, which is over an hour long. and other resources associated with her. And so, um, again, I will link to that in the show notes so that you can um, learn more. And to continue with little snippets of introductions to these women who are... uh, have been archived and interviewed and archived on the Library of Congress uh, for their efforts in the civil rights movement. Alani King was an activist with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in Atlanta. Oh, I was going to say Lani King sounds like a man's name. (laughs) I'll read this even though it's a man and 
and we're uh i thought we were talking about women here um okay he remembers meeting other students from the nashville movement when uh sncc which is the student Nonviolent coordinating committee became a nationwide organization in 1960 Oh, this is why he's interviewed. He recalls his surprise that Diane Nash was not elected to be the representative from Nashville and echoes Simmons's criticism about male privilege and domination. Quote, he says, Diane Nash, in my view, was the Nashville movement. And by that, I mean this. Others were there, but they weren't Diane Nash. Diane was articulate, She was a beautiful woman, very photogenic, very committed. Interesting (laughs) comments. No, 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 uh, I'm not trying to shame you, Lonnie, there, but, uh, and very intelligent and had a following. I never did understand how, except for maybe sexism. I never understood how James Bevel, Marion Barry, and for that matter, John Lewis, kind of leapfrogged over her. I never understood that because she was, in fact, the leader in Nashville. It was Diane. The others were followers of her. I so never understood that, to be honest with you. She's an unsung, a real unsung hero of the movement in Nashville, in my opinion. It's really fascinating to me to hear that, um, Obviously, those other names, James Bevel, Marion Barry, and John Lewis are very prominent names in the civil rights movement. And to hear that there was a woman who was actually, not surprisingly, um, more involved and um, played a large role in this uh, and was bypassed is, is a shame. But thank you, Lonnie King, for remembering Diane Nash and for sharing that information about her. Uh, as I mentioned, Lonnie King, all of these, all of this that I'm sharing does uh, connect to a longer interview, which is done by video that you can find um, on the website that I'll link to in the show notes. Okay. So I'm going to share next um, an interview with another gentleman who reflects on the sacrifices of women. Uh, Ikweme Michael Thuol was a student at Howard University and a leader of the Nonviolent Action Group, an organization that eventually joined with SNCC. He reflects on the sacrifices that women college students at Howard made in joining the struggle and remarks on the constraints they faced after doing so. It is only in retrospect that I quote, it is only in retrospect that I recognize the extraordinary price that our sisters paid for being as devoted to the struggle as they were. It meant that they weren't into homecoming queen kind of activities that they weren't into the accepted behavior of a Howard lady, that they weren't into the trivia of fashion and dressing up. Though they were attractive women and they took care of themselves, but they weren't the kind of trophy wives for the med school students, and they weren't, some of them might have been members of the Greek letter organizations, but most of them, I suspect, weren't so that they occupied a place outside the conventional social norms of the whole university student body. So did the men, but with men, I think we can just say, kiss my 
bleep and go on about our business. It wasn't so clear to me that a woman could do the same thing. So that was a share from Ikweme Michael Thuwal about women who are involved in the civil rights um, movement. All right. <clears throat> yes. I am going to share a little bit more from this article on the Library of Congress's website related to women involved in the civil rights movement. The article continues, older interviewees emphasize the opportunities that were available to an earlier generation of women. Mildred Bond Roxborough, a longtime secretary of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, discusses the importance of women leaders in local branches. Quote, well, actually, when you think about women's contributions to the NAACP, without the women, we wouldn't have an NAACP. The person who was responsible for generating the organizing meeting uh, was a woman. Of course, ever since then, we've had women in key roles, not in the majority, but in the very key roles which were responsible for the evolution of the NAACP. I think in terms of people like Daisy Lampkin, who was a member of our national board from Pittsburgh, she traveled around the country, garnering memberships and helping to organize branches. That was back in the 30s and 40s, before it became fashionable or popular for women to travel. You have women who subsequently held positions in the NAACP nationally as program directors and as leaders of various divisions. She goes on to discuss the contributions of many women to the success of the NAACP. And so there are actually, I think, 50 interviews with women um, about women um, involved in the civil rights movement. So there's a lot to, to listen to and be inspired by. I, I, Mildred's interview is also over an, uh, an hour long and so i'll link to that in the show notes so that you can hear about all of the other folks that she talks about there are two more women uh referred to in this article in the library of congress that i'll share the little snippets about them Doris Adelaide Derby, another SNCC activist, remembers that the challenge and urgency of the freedom struggle was a formative experience for young activist women who had to learn resourcefulness on the job. Quote, I always did what I wanted to do. I had my own inner drive. And I found that when I came up with ideas and I was ready to work to see it through, and I think that happened with a lot of women in SNCC. We needed all hands on deck. And so when we found ourselves in situations, we had to rely on whoever was around. And if somebody had XYZ skills and somebody only had ABC, we had to come together. We used to joke about that. But in reality, the women, you know, were strong. In the struggle, the women were strong. 
and then Ruby Nell Sales, who later overcame psychological traumas from the racial violence she witnessed in the movement, encourages us to look beyond the simplistic story of Rosa Parks refusing to move to the back of the bus in Montgomery. As she explains, Parks was a longtime activist who had sought justice for African-American women who were frequently assaulted, both verbally and physically, in their daily lives. When we look at Rosa Parks, people often think that she was, she did that because of her civil rights and wanting to sit down on the bus. But she also did that. It was a rebellion of maids, a rebellion of working class women who were tired of boarding the buses in Montgomery, the public space, and being assaulted and called out of their names and abused by white bus drivers. And that's why the movement could hold so long. If it had just been merely a protest about riding the bus, it might have shattered but it went to the very heart of Black womanhood, and Black women played a major role in sustaining that movement. The article continues to say that the Civil Rights History Project includes interviews with over 50 women who came from a wide range of backgrounds and were involved in the movement in a myriad of ways. Their stories deepen our understanding of the movement as a whole and provide us with concrete examples of how vital they were to gain the gains of the civil rights movement. And so I am excited to continue to learn more and listen to those interviews and, and watch them for that matter. They, uh, many of them seem to be video interviews. I thought it was interesting to point out in conjunction with this notion of the movement of maids that Rosa Parks was involved with is the recent strike that's happening in, um, I guess it's Southern California and LA where housekeeping from two major hotels is uh, striking. And I can't help but think about how powerful that is to be able to to do that and how difficult it probably is for folks uh, who are involved in housekeeping in, in hotels. Uh, it is probably not the highest wage and, um, and to forego wages to have an impact. I think they're seeking an extra $5 an hour, if I remember correctly. I don't have any of the articles in front of me, so I'm just kind of going off of memory here. I apologize if I have any of the facts wrong. But the um, this notion, having just traveled from New York to Wisconsin and stayed in two hotels, and knowing of the luxury of being able to stay in a hotel, and also this assumption that the hotel will be clean, that there will be rooms for us, and that they will be cleaned, is a privilege in and of itself. And to me, I just view this act of strike uh, for this specific industry as being so immensely powerful because it it will impact the people that have money. It will impact the the luxury lifestyle. It will impact the business people. And this is not to put any blame or shame on luxury travel or business people, but it is only until everyone starts to feel the pain of 
the reality that folks aren't compensated, aren't treated fairly, and perhaps even equally in our um, in our economy, that I think things will start to sh- to change. I feel like we got a little taste of it during. Uh, the height of COVID where restaurants weren't open. Uh, they had limited uh, capacity because of staffing. You know, these types of activities that are definitely not a given for all families based upon your economic situation. They can they can often just be considered luxury activities and and I think that it's important for those of us who are able to participate in those luxury activities to understand and appreciate that the reason that we're able to is because of everyone who is helping to make that possible and that they are a vital part of the economy and need to be compensated fairly. So that's my little spiel about that. just another component i know i'm sort of like a debbie downer when it comes to the fourth of july sometimes and that's not to mean that you shouldn't celebrate actually i just was perusing um facebook as we were listening to to those songs and a friend had posted about can't we just Put the past behind us and move forward and celebrate together as a nation. And I think that it would be easier for some folks, myself included, although not directly impacted by uh, some of the inequalities that still exist. But I think that um, that's, that's where I hope we can be. I had listen no i had read somewhere people referring to the 4th of july as interdependence day which i think is a beautiful notion and it is this idea that we all are in interdependent upon one another like my statement earlier about the housekeeping in the hotels right some of these things that we don't necessarily see these these um, people and these actions that folks do to keep everything happening around us, um, to make life possible in the form that we know it in this country, does require an awareness of um, how we impact one another, how we're affected by one another. So I really love the idea of Interdependence Day. And that just kind of um, will put me into a different mindset. Maybe I'll make my 4th of July themed show next year focus more on that and less so on where I see some of the the harm that has been caused by the lack of freedom that some folks have experienced, um, even though we had our 4th of July Independence Day celebrations happening. <laughs> So that was a long-winded way of getting to this um, this point that we had, um, I think it was Maria Elena and I, together on one of our shows, had invited uh, two women um, from the Waterfall Unity Alliance uh, onto the show back in September of 22. It was last year. And 
they are, if you recall, um, sorry, I'm trying to find my notes on on them. It was Bethany Yarrow and it was Miss um, Jacques, who, um, I'm going to mispronounce her name, Kawaniasta Jacques, who were on the show talking about the land that they were buying, um, a buyback project um, for Ms. Jock's people. And they obtained the land. And if you recall, I believe Ms. Jock was involved, was, was going to be involved with the strawberry, strawberry farm that they were going to be uh, building on the land of the Koniasta, um, um, I'm sorry, of the, and I'm going to mispronounce their land, the Kenyaka people. And so I I was contacted by them recently to let me know about a festival celebration that they are having. And I'm sorry that I'm stumbling through my words. Um, I have way too many tabs open to keep track of all of this. So they are having a celebration, uh, which is probably also... Um, functioning as a bit of a fundraiser but let me let me share with you uh what's happening uh later this month now obviously that's not based in kingston um it's not even ulster county it's uh, a little bit northeast northwest of us uh but to me it's something to consider be considering as you think about what we can be doing to sort of heal some of the harms that are related to this whole idea of the 4th of July, right? Which is our independence from the crown. Yet we were taking land from other people and we had other folks enslaved. So so the more that we can do to kind of give back and acknowledge uh, the harms that have been caused, I think the better off we are in healing some of those wounds. Um, and the Waterfall Unity Festival is related to that. It's a benefit concert and it's a celebration. It's happening July 28th through the 30th. Um, it's in West Fulton, New York, which is the Skohari Valley. So it's a little bit of a trip for us in the uh, Hudson Valley in Kingston. But... Um, if this is not something that you can participate in, then obviously you can look for ways that you can get more involved with land buyback in our own county or wherever it is that of the land that you live on. And I wanted to just share some of the happenings because they are looking for volunteers. Uh, they are still rebuilding and um, doing things to... Um, enhance the land that they were able to purchase. But the Waterfall Unity Alliance um, is um, the organization that oversees everything that's happening. And they're calling out to their supporters as they are seeking a team of volunteers to assist in the execution of the events happening in July. So beginning on July 16th, volunteers are welcome on an ongoing basis to come to their land in Skohari to assist in other uh, various hands-on needs for the preparation of the festivals. And volunteers can camp on site by the longhouse 
Things that they need assistance with are berry picking, clearing trails, sail shade installation, making and putting up signs, setting up tables and tents, and more. So you can send them an email to just let them know that you're coming and what you might want to be doing. I will put their email in the show notes. And you can also visit their website and um, for information about the festivals. They also have volunteer departments that they are calling for people to assist with during the festival that is at the end of July. And they encourage all who are volunteering in these departments to come on July 20th prepare to camp to the arrival of attendees. Volunteer departments include greeting guests, parking, food, artist liaisons, tarpology, security, stage manager, nourishment coordinator, vendor coordinator, and volunteer coordinator. So there are ways that you can get involved specifically with the festival if it sounds like a fun thing to do to get out and go camping. They have also partnered with Permatours, which is an organization rooted in the love of our Mother Earth for the manifestation of this year's Waterfall Unity Festival. Their organization is focused on creating a sustainable future and harmonious way of life. The Permatours team has been such a joy to work with these past several months. On July 13th, Permatours is hosting a Waterfall Unity Festival event preparation Zoom. And so if you are interested in getting involved, you can sign up for that Zoom meeting. All who will be joining them to volunteer um, can expect to have such an amazing time with creating lots of memories, meeting new friends, and know that you're doing something very profound to heal the wounds that were inflicted by the folks who came to this country. Um, so that's my that's my little spiel about that. Um, if anybody is inclined to want to comment about any of the things that I talked about on today's show, or if you're interested in having me... Um, explore any of these themes more deeply or if you'd like to join in a conversation to explore any of these themes more deeply um, then please don't hesitate to reach out I find it to be very important to talk about these things and sometimes I'm not sure that I do it in a way that makes it welcoming to others or that I do it in a way that makes it interesting to others Um, I do have sometimes limited bandwidth to put together an articulate response to uh, the themes that I want to talk about on the show. In today's show, I did um, uh, have much less time because, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, um, I wasn't prepared to do the show today. Julie Novak was going to do it. So just a little shout out again to Julie that she's feeling better Um and uh, that she's getting out of bed and enjoying some of the, hopefully, sunshine. Um, so that's just to say that, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into putting this show together. And it may not always come across that way. Um, thanks, of course, to Ian, who who does the, the technical stuff at the studio. But the content-wise, 
um, largely is just me figuring it out. And I don't always have the bandwidth to put together the um, most fully researched, that's the phrase I'm looking for, fully researched uh, perspective on things. And so that's just to say that if it's something that you are aware of, if it's something that you are interested in, then I'm happy to dedicate more time to it. Yes, this show is about women, amplifying women's voices and their stories, but there's also this notion of what are the things that are feminine and what are ways that are we are embodying the feminine uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be tied to a specific female individual or a woman specifically. It can be to some of the notions of feminine, which is healing, community, um, togetherness, interconnectedness, flow, creativity, n- things like that. Um And so that's why I do these theme shows every now and then, which isn't specifically tied to a particular woman's um, voice. Although we did hear um, me sharing women's voices on today's show. All right. So I am, as I said last week, traveling in Wisconsin until the beginning of August. And so I have set up uh, coverage for me while I am away so that somebody can be live in the studio doing the show versus me doing it remotely. Next week, Maria Elena will be hosting the show. I will be joining as a guest. And so Maria Elena is putting together some things for uh, next week's show. After that, Erica Brown will be covering for me. And then Maria Elena will be covering another show. Next week will be our politics and spirituality themed show. Although that's a wide, uh, a wide theme that a lot of things fall into sometimes. Um, but Maria Elena will be covering again on the 24th. And Raquel Stammer, who has her show on Tuesday nights. Um, my brain just, um, just forgot the name of Raquel's show. Um, I've listened to it and (laughs) thank you, Satellite of Love. Um, It is, uh, I love, I mean, Raquel did, um, we read Sylvia Federici's Caliban and the Witch. And so if you participated in that, listening to that, you know Raquel is a brilliant person which lots with lots of deep thoughts. And her show is amazing. So please tune in Tuesday nights to Satellite of Love. So she'll be covering on the 31st. And then Maria Elena's is back. Um, she's standing in for me a bunch while I'm gone. Unless course something happens and then i'll tune in again and and steer the ship so that is the show i hope that whatever you're doing to celebrate the fourth whether it is remembering um doing something to heal the harms of the past or celebrating independence and freedom i hope that you enjoy yourselves and thanks to ian again for running the dials at uh, radio kingston thanks to shauna falana for the show music as always And, um, yes, happy Interdependence Day. Ida's coming up next with the Heavy Light Show. And until next week, which I will be on the show next week, I hope that you can love yourself and uplift one another. Ciao!
It's coming up on 1 o'clock. You're listening to AM 1490 FM 107.9 WKNY Kingston. We're live online, RadioKingston.org. Teresa Whitman coming up next with I Want What She Has. And Teresa, hello there. Welcome. Well, hello. Thank you, Warren. I'm very surprised, but happy to hear you today. <laughs> yes, life is full of surprises. It's it is. good to we, be here. We, we love surprises sometimes. <laughs> yes, it depends on what they are. Good yeah. surprises. So you're getting ready to head out a little vacay? Um, well, technically, I'm in Wisconsin. Oh, well, then you are on a little vacay today. Good for you. I mean, it's all here nor there. It's yeah. not really vacation. I am just working from here so that Aiden can spend some time with his family who he never gets to see. Oh, that's so sweet. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, you have a minute? Can we talk a little bit? We do, and my mom, who is listening downstairs, would be very upset if we didn't talk, because this is, quote, her favorite part of my show. Oh, come on, Mom. That can't be. <laughs> That's, no. You've got so much good stuff on the show. How could this be she her favorite? She loves the tidbits that you bring to conversation. Okay. Well, we do it so well together. We're missing Manuel today, but he'll be back I next know. week. Yes, um, yes. So today, sometimes, Teresa, in life, we become very focused on what we haven't accomplished, that we lose sight of what we have. So mm. it's time to take a little pride in what you've become. So this is interesting. These are signs you're actually a better person than you think you are. Oh, interesting. Do you ever think you're not a great person? I can't imagine that, but do you ever think that? <clears throat> well, can I tell you a funny little story? Sure. <laughs> I am home at my parents' house, and my mom had some old clippings from my youth downstairs on a table. And there was a picture of me. It was Kettle Moraine Middle School named their first quarter honorable citizenship winners for this year. Teachers vote for students according to certain criteria, respectful to staff and fellow students, responsible, especially by being punctual and prepared for class, volunteering service to help others, and sensitive to the needs of staff and fellow students. And I won that award. Wow. And I just, it was like, I was like, really? I was a nice person <laughs> when I was in seventh grade or whatever that was. Wow. So and, yeah. sort of. To your point there, you know, like we often, you don't have a clear view of who you are sometimes. And especially with social media, that skews reality so much for ourselves. Um, yeah. as, I would say this is interesting. Yeah. As a youngster, though, how'd that feel? That's great. Well, I don't remember it. I mean, that was totally, I had no recollection of that at all. So I can't even remember what it felt like. Um, okay. It just helped, it made me feel like as an adult that, you know, maybe to see some of the things that I have done over my life as being good things rather than just sort of passing over them mm -hmm. as, you know, meaningless. So, well, I guess it can be a little tough to define what a good person is or a good person you are. So yeah. these are maybe a few traits we can all agree on that show you're a better person than you think. Number one, you compliment others when it's deserved. Okay, yes. True, right? We do that. Mm -hmm. that. That's a good person. You're grateful for your loved ones. Mm -hmm. Next on the list. Uh, also, you are polite and respectful. <laughs> well, that's a no-brainer. Okay. Um, you're, <laughs> you're kind to everyone. 
Um, yes. Yeah. You're laughing at these, Warren. Do you think they're funny or do you think it's obvious? It's obvious is the word I think so far. <laughs> and Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson, I was reading, he said, you cannot do kindness too soon for you never know how soon it will be too late. Oh, I like that. Okay. Next up, you're honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honesty is telling the truth to ourselves and others. Integrity is living that truth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you're optimistic. That defines that's, a lot in life, I guess. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, you're generous with others. Okay. Yes. Yes. Now this one, I like this one. Uh, another sign that you're actually a better person than you are. You take responsibility for your actions. I think that's important. That's less, I, I guess that's less obvious in the sense that maybe we don't contemplate that often. Mm-hmm. That's a tricky one, right? Because sometimes we don't even realize that we're not taking responsibility. We deflect because we're afraid that if we own up to something, we'll get in trouble or somebody won't like us. So, hmm. uh, You're wise, okay? Sure. Being wise doesn't mean being intelligent. Wisdom is about using the information you've learned through experience to make a good life for yourself. Okay. Um, you don't wallow in self-pity. Do we do that? I I definitely catch myself doing it sometimes when, let's say, I was up all night with the baby and my husband wasn't. <laughs> The next morning, I'll be a little bit wallowy in my self-pity, which I give myself a little break because I'm actually kind of tired, and so I'm not my best self when I'm tired. Mm -hmm. True. Well, that's true. um, That's true of all of us, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, two two more signs. Two more signs. You're actually a better person than you think you are. People can trust you. Yes. Right? That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, you're genuine. Everyone loves being around a genuine person. It's funny because I've had a lot of people, well, not a lot, but at least two people reach out to me recently about wanting to come on the show and the work that they do, (coughs) excuse me, is helping people step into their authenticity, which I feel like is related to genuineness. Mm -hmm. Um. Maybe it's slightly different, but there's a relationship there. Yeah. And I've never really thought of that as being a, a, a society kind of wide problem that, that you know, people would go to somebody to do. But I, I guess I can see it now that I think about it. So it's just interesting to yeah. think about that as being a good person. So those are our tidbits for the day. Is mom happy with that, Teresa? Uh, probably, probably. Okay. I'm I'm not in the same room with her, so okay. she's probably smiling or shaking her head, or she might be watching Aiden right now for all I oh, know. Oh, okay. Well, she can always listen back, right? Yes. If she missed it. Anyway, so what are we doing on the show today? Well, because um, I had a little surprise switcheroo in my plans for the show today, um, I have put together some thoughts. Well, this morning we had a full moon, so I'm going to talk about the moon. And uh, then I wanted to share a little bit about, I was thinking about the 4th of July. And the 4th of July, I kind of have been doing a freedom-themed show. Mm-hmm. And 
So what I did is I found a website. Actually, it's the Library of Congress that has aggregated several women who have been underappreciated for their efforts during the civil rights movement. So I'm going to share uh, some information about them and play some songs um, after we talk about the moon. I saw the moon, the, the July moon. The full moon is called the Buck Moon for some reason. I'm not sure why. Because it's a time when the antlers growth is very, oh. I think, robust. Okay. Yeah. And it's it also, has some other names, Also too, known but, as the Thunder Moon. Yeah. And um, the Berry Moon, too, and, sometimes. And the Hay Moon. Oh, I didn't hear that one. Yeah, after it's, the July Hay Harvest. Oh. Yeah. It's a super moon, so yeah. it should be nice and bright last night and tonight. Yeah, for sure. All right, so enjoy yourself in Wisconsin. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Warren. And let's start the show. <laughs> 